On today's player pool, we have some housekeeping to discuss about the future of the player pool podcast. Then we dive in to a rather thin week 16 slate, a lot of value, a lot of new slate breakers to discuss. We better get going. Let's go. It's the player pool podcast with your host, Austin Raboy. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Player Pool Podcast. I'm happy you're here. I hope you're still happy you're here as well. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Following us on Twitter at Player Pool Pod. There's always a guy out there ready to talk fantasy football with you. So follow there. Shoot me messages. If you got any issues building lineups this weekend, don't hesitate. We're here for you. Now, one mantra. The only motto, the only goal of this podcast, and I've said it many times this season, this year, in our opening year, has been try to communicate how to play DFS in a healthy and smart way. The issue with DFS and the reason that DFS is not as popular as traditional fantasy football is because there is no blueprint out there to show people who play traditional fantasy season-long football leagues how to transfer all of that into DFS. And the main thing has always been it's because DFS requires money every time you play, right? So a lot of guys out there, they play their season-long leagues, they enter 100 bucks at the beginning of the year, and then they play. And 100 bucks for one entry, that's a lot. And in DFS, if you did 100 bucks in an entry, you'd be in the big shark, high money, high roller contest. But we don't think anything about playing 100 bucks to win, you know, maybe 900 or something at the end of the season because we're only entering it once. And that, that makes a big difference. You know, not having to get your wallet out all the time is nice. When I go on trips, when I go on vacation, if there's an all inclusive thing, all food, all drinks, everything covered, I'm down for that. Because when you're on vacation, you don't want to feel like you're just shelling out money, feeling the financial drain leave you constantly while you're doing something that you're trying to enjoy. And that's the same issue that DFS, the same main struggle that daily fantasy football runs into, is how do we get to the point where this is a game where you're going to be successful about 10% of the time. So how do we get people to play us year-round in Daily Fantasy without making them feel like they're just siphoning and throwing their money away, turning it on fire, as I have in the last month, if you haven't caught my overall temperature in the last month. That's the big hurdle DFS has. Now, this show is supposed to show you how you can transfer that $100 you put in season-log fantasy football into DFS. And then it comes down hard on... This is how you manage a bankroll. You give yourself 10 lives. You section off that 10 bucks or that 100 bucks into 10 lives and you play. And you don't redeposit. And if you win, you don't up the ante. And up the ante for those non-casino goers just means you don't increase your entries, obviously, when you have more money. It is about taking that initial startup money and just playing throughout the entire season and being more engaged. Because what DFS gives you is not a free car, is not, you know, helping you retire early. It's not even really thousands of dollars. What DFS gives you is the arena with 
vibrant, enthusiastic, plugged in, competitive fantasy football play. That is what you come to play DFS for, unless you're coming, you know, at me with a hundred thousand dollar bankroll. Those are the guys that make five, ten percent ROI on a year and call it a success. But we're not here to do that. The thirty-two million people that play DFS today, of those thirty-two million, there's about fifty that roll six figures deep in bankroll and just cover everything and are truly trying to make a profit year to year off very slim margins. And we're not those people. We ain't, the, we ain't that guy. So all this is to be said is that how we end this season is also very important. And something I think we could maybe step back and as I review, which I'm huge on review, half my shows have been uh, review based, right? But as we review the season, I think as of right now, you can see the trend of this season. We started the year with a lot of wait and sees in about four weeks. And the Bengals especially, a lot of go-to stacks started out slow, right? The Joe Burrow and the Bengals stacks, I came out on the show four weeks in a row and said, stick with them, stick with them, stick with them. They did eventually pop for us only for Joe Burrow to get hurt again. So we started the year with a long wait and see that took a while to develop and show fruit. We had a really good middle of the season. I did. I had a really good middle of the season where I was able to kind of crawl back to even from the hole of the big, you know, opening, you know, Bengals losses and, and the big wait and see period went through. But then all these injuries started hitting and we started having days with slates of like six backup quarterbacks starting. And that screws everything up because then nothing became reliable. And I've seen more random outcome winners this year. I've seen the whole, look at this garbage lineup that won the Millie so many times this year. It's just been a year of high turnover, high injuries, volatility, and that's fine. But because we're here to play year to year and to be smart, I do need to talk about how we finished the year in DFS. And this conversation I probably would have had in week 17, so next week or maybe week 18 if things were going really well. But I think given the year it's been, now's the time to start talking about it. Because another thing that no tout, no DFS touts out there saying, fantasy gurus, the subscribe to me people, all those people that need your attention because it gives them money, gives them validation, you know, it gives them clicks, it gives them, you know, the monetization of their channels. The other thing that they don't tell you is at this point in the year, unless you're just absolutely riding hot, like you are super hot, you are crushing every single week. If that's you, do not listen to any of this. But if it's starting to cool, if you're getting busy and your time to put into the player pool is getting less and less, or if you're on the back end and, and, and in a total loss or in, in, a, in a decent loss on the year, but still want to play, going from week 16 till about the divisional round in the playoffs needs to be a wind down in DFS. And that is mainly because we are dealing with this situation down in the league. We have a handful of focused playoff teams. And when you factor in which ones are playing in prime time or now they're playing on Saturday, they're playing doubleheaders on Monday night, we may not get a lot of these focused playoff teams in the main slate. So already we're shrinking the usable, predictable teams that we have in the main slate. That's one factor that, that affects the end of the season. The second factor is, or I'm sorry, another factor is there are a few teams out there that have purposeful rebuilds going on. The Green Bay Packers are a great example of this right now. They, whether they make the playoffs, they have a slight chance to make it or not, that is immaterial to them. They want to work out their quarterback 
and they want to see what type of team they have heading into next year. So that team, they're not playing for draft picks. They're not playing for playoff positioning. They are playing for pure development and rebuild. So that team can be relied on. But then again, there's a few of those. Maybe And Packers, to me, only are the only one that comes to mind. Maybe the Tennessee Titans because they have Will Levis there and they're in the playoff hunt in a very narrow, pathetic way. That's one of the worst divisions in football. But very few teams like that that will actually still come out and go you know, guns blazing full bore and are, and are predictable to some extent. Now the issue with those rebuilding teams is they're not as talented and where is the production going to go? You know, you think about the Packers, they got – Three and a half receivers, it, you know that that could have the ball. So those rebuilding, those purposeful rebuilding teams, it, they're usually thin, and they're rebuilding, you know, for a reason. Then we have the teams that are just straight shutting down, and it's easy to think about these teams. These are the teams that are just bottom of the barrel. Maybe they fired their coach already. Carolina Panthers. Uh, maybe the wheels are coming off in front of our eyes. The Pittsburgh Steelers with their offense. Apparently, Matt Canada wasn't the only issue. Uh, you know, we have teams like the Commanders that are four and ten and are just waiting to fire Ron Rivera and go into a complete rebrand under new ownership and Eric Bieniemy. At least running offense, I think Bill Belichick is a dark horse to come in there and be the administration coach for the Commanders, a la Vince Lombardi. That's a topic for another time. But there's teams like that that are just like closing the lights, closing, pulling the curtains, praying to God that young core piece injuries don't get hurt while still giving them experience. But there's just teams that are just closed for business. The Jets are another good example. So you can't rely on these teams at all, at all, right? You don't know at this point, what's the point of putting Miles on Brees Hall's body under that rookie contract? Nothing. Give him 300 carries next year when they may contend. But to give Brees Hall now... 20, 15 carries a game, flip a coin. I mean, maybe the Jets are stupid and maybe they're playing such short window that they absolutely are just trying to win games to save jobs. But more than likely, the Jets at this point know, as long as the coaches have been assured, hey, we're all running it back next year with Rodgers, it's more likely that Brees Hall's touches hover around 10 just to keep him fresh throughout the rest of the season. So these shutdown teams, can't predict them, can't use them our options get more limited. And then we have another brand of team, and I'm going to call this team the, the die-by-the-sword teams. Because if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And these are teams that have usable fantasy team or options that are technically in the playoff hunt, but at this point, they just show that no matter what you tell them, no matter where you tell them where the doorway is, they're going to keep running their face straight into the wall over and over and over again. And if you're trying to guess who I'm talking about here, it can't be that hard. This is the Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Smith and the Bijan Robinson situation. I, I, I don't really know what else to say about this at all. Bijan Robinson has been hanging there. I think he's burned us more than he's helped us this year in fantasy. But last week on a football level, Arthur Smith, in the middle of a division title race, in the NFC South, that is dog shit. All the teams are six, seven win teams. The winning, the division winner is probably either going to be 500 or slight below. It's going to be one of those division winners and a playoff team we see get rolled in the wild card round. But here are the Falcons with a young team that have been trying to come up over this hill and be competitors for the last two years. 
and they played the Panthers last week, and all you got to do to beat the Panthers is give your star player 20 touches. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So the Falcons, uh, to some extent, I would say the Browns, the Jets kind of fit this mold in that they never tried to fix their quarterback situation, and they could have easily snuck into the playoffs this year with that great defense. Hell, I even think, to some extent, the, the Chicago Bears, even the, the Arizona Cardinals, who have usable fantasy pieces, but they've stuck to some old things for too long. For the Bears, it's been Justin Fields, an ineffective pass game, unless D.J. Moore's out there, right? For the Cardinals, they're married to Kyler Murray. So Kyler Murray's going to play full-time. The team is shit. They're stuck in this crappy situation. And it's going to be hard to predict with the low level of talent, the low level of production out of the Cardinals. Yes, Kyler Murray, rushing quarterback, should be played. He even has a nice stack option with Trey McBride. But overall, for a fantasy play, same thing with the Bears, fantasy plays with great quarterbacks located, the shitty teams that have been shitty and continue to be shitty, are full of non-usable fantasy players, which makes Justin Fields and Kyler Murray less solid than they would be if there were just a couple developed wide receivers on their team, kind of like the Houston Texans have in Nico Collins and did have in Tank Dell. So we're dealing with all these things now at the end of the season. All these teams now are not trying to do the same thing. And it lowers and lowers our player pool and our options and the predictability of these games. And in fact, as I look at my player pool, I have five quarterbacks that made my player pool this week. Only one, Tua Tagovailoa. He is, to me, the only predictable quarterback this week. Dak Prescott didn't make my player pool. But he is the only predictable quarterback this week that I know exactly what that offense is going to come out and try to do. And that's bad. So, for all these reasons, because DFS is so volatile anyway, and in a year where that variance cloud that variant storm has just been a hurricane on us. And given that my overall success this year has been a lot lower than the last six years prior. This is definitely my seven-year low in a season. Just like I already mentioned, I'm going to step back from the table. I'm also going to take maybe a week early and start throttling down the fantasy season. And this, in a way, mirrors what's going on in your season-long leagues now. Because by now, you're probably in the semifinals of your season-long league. And for the most part, if you look around, about a third or two-thirds of your league is completely shut down. The same thing happens in DFS. It's just not talked about because it requires in DFS a little bit higher level of discipline. You have to fight the gambling vice that is inherent in DFS that makes you feel like you can win it all back in one go. You cannot. The key to DFS is you approach it the same way throughout the entire year and you're disciplined and you know when things start becoming a little shaky and you fall back a little bit. So here's me now falling back. Now, I'll tell you this. If I was close to even this year or even or slightly above or really running downhill, I would have probably started throttling back next week. But given where I am at personally, it's a throttle back now for me. I think for the show's purposes too, we're going to start going to one show a week. Maybe we move that around. I've been kicking around this idea of like, do I want to continue this show or not? Uh, knowing that I've learned a lot of lessons this year on how it can be presented, a lot of things that we can add, uh, including potentially a second voice, uh, definitely more fixed segments, a little bit more consistency, and when you tune into this, what you're going to hear 
things that are more focused, maybe even some things that help with player evaluation to a certain extent, maybe talk about you know, some hot players or trying to catch some hot streaks. I have a lot of ideas out on how to kind of raise the overall floor of this show uh, to be a little bit higher quality. Uh, but I was never going to learn any of those things without first starting this year raw, trying to just teach this as best I can. Basically word of mouth, right? I'm describing a paper process through audio only. So it's I, I wasn't able to get the show to a place where it could be more useful to you until I ran through this my rookie year, basically, in podcasting. So uh, I appreciate all of you guys for continuing the tune in and the support, all the notes. I mean, it... It really is cool. Some some Sundays I sit alone watching football all day, but I don't feel alone because, I mean, by God, I got 20 people <laughs> sending me messages, sending me screenshots. Some of you I know and some of you I don't know, and it's been great. Uh, so I want to continue that. I would hate to build it up off this year and just shack it away, you know, and, and there, there's been a lot of things this year to learn how to balance a show, be consistent with when it's posted, but also, uh, you know, I run a small business and and run my household and just adjust across the way. So, uh, like I said, the show could never continue on into the future uh, if I did not have this initial season-long run to, to try to bring you something. So, the show's not going away for the rest of the season. We still have four weeks, I think, that you can still play DFS available, including the wild card round and divisional round. And just real quickly, how you do that is over the course of whenever those playoff rounds are played, Thursday through Sunday, you're just going to play probably like a three-day slate, essentially. Uh, so we'll cover that, too. It's kind of like the Thanksgiving slate again. So we'll, a lot of stuff to still get to. I'll still be playing DFS all year round, although at a very much smaller scale. Uh, main idea at this point is to get out of the season uh, unharmed. So the show's going to still drop. I think we may kick around the idea of when what day for the next four weeks. We want to experiment with uh, one episode a week and see how well we can make that i do right now anyway and this is without counsel without asking anybody else i do think that if we did one show a week we it would be easier to coordinate schedule you know a second voice into the show plan out our segments a little bit better things like that so we may experiment over the next week uh, over the next last month of the dfs season with one episode a week and see how that takes uh, and if it's just uh, a disaster or if you guys just want more, you know, want to hear the review still early in the week and then the prep late in the week, we can maybe still do that. But we may jump the show to a Wednesday or Thursday uh, release and still cover the review and, and the forward uh, preview as well and just see how that takes, see if that works better for everybody. So, okay, well, hey, that was some housekeeping. I just wanted to be transparent about where I am with all this. And, uh, yeah, so – Overall, real quick, kind of a, some of the Sunday situations I see here before we get into the longer preview. But just like I said, we're losing dependable dependable teams to really go off of. A lot of injuries out there. A lot of quarterbacks not playing. Backup Palooza out there. And as a result, my player pool is thin this week. I mean, I did say I had five quarterbacks make the list. I only highlighted two as actually preferred players. For my running backs, I did not highlight anybody as a slate breaker, and I only have five running backs highlighted as preferred. That's pretty thin. It gets even thinner at the wide receiver range. While I did add in a couple slate breakers, so I have four slate breakers at wide receiver, 
in total, only three preferreds on top of that. I mean, seven highlighted wide receivers. It's incredibly thin with a ton of good value in the middle here. Wide receiver has un- three wide receivers that I've identified under 6K uh, that can offer value this week. That's Jackson Smith and Jigba, risky. Alec Pierce with the Colts, 5,300. And Romeo Dobbs and Dontavian Wicks of the Packers, 57 and 5,400. So it's going to be a week you can play whoever you want. I, I truly believe that. You just got to find kind of the right puzzle pieces. And again, remember what else we're teaching. At the end of the season, you got to start throwing darts. You cannot cover as much as you were middle of the season. It's time to take some stances on these players and on these stacks. And one of the stances I'm taking this week is that the Cowboys cupcake schedule is behind them. The real football teams are ahead of them. And I just don't think we're going to see an electric shootout show out of the Cowboys against the Dolphins this week. So that's why Dak's not in my player pool. CD definitely is. So that's kind of the shape of the land and what we look at, what what we're looking at into Sunday, just a 10 game slate, a lot of good football, you know, I don't want y'all to think the season's over. Football itself is still very, very, very good. And while we have a couple divisions that have three teams with mediocre records, hey, it's still going to be a playoff battle. So the football is going to be great all the way to the Super Bowl, I have no doubt. As a DFS player, again, it's a smart, sharp DFS player realizes the unpredictability really spikes at the end of the season. And like I said, that's why I'm saying drawback. So, okay. We did a little personal reflection. We did housekeeping. We gave kind of the lay of the land for Sunday. Let's get into the preview. We have a couple games on Saturday. I'm not really going to cover at length. All I will say is, thank God the Los Angeles Chargers are playing on Saturday night. And while we are losing a very good and usable quarterback in Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills going to LA to play the Chargers, I'm happy to not have to pick hairs between Austin Eckler and try to figure out this Chargers team. They are suspect number one enemy public. Was it public enemy number one in my DFS demise this season? So one of my old reliable stacks, this team is completely imploded. Times are changing, but thank God the Chargers aren't in the main slate. But looking at the main slate, opening up here, First one we got, one of the good teams that are still on mission and still, to me, are very reliable and usable, very predictable. The Detroit Lions going to the Minnesota Vikings, playing in a dome. You like that. 47 points. Now, last week I did say Nick Mullins could do something. You know, he could do a 260-yard game, two-touchdown game, and send the bulk of that to Justin Jefferson. Now, if you really remember from the show two weeks ago, I pointed out that Jordan Addison would be a great beneficiary of having Justin Jefferson back. Justin Jefferson decoyed burner Addison going crazy. That's what we saw last week. So I actually like this game a lot. I think you can get Goff in with two of his boys. I always like running in with Gibbs and Amon Ross St. Brown. Although you aren't crazy mixing in Sam Laporta, who does look like the heir apparent to top tight end in the league once Kelsey officially steps down. But I really like golf. I would try to find some version of stack here, whether it is Justin Jefferson and you are covering that covering that exposure or you're getting real sneaky and trying to win the whole damn thing and have Addison running it back. But I think the Vikings offense is going to be able to put up just enough points to keep the Detroit Lions offense cooking. I like it in a dome. Maybe the Lions defense is still falling apart and is easy to run through that lets the Vikings score enough, keep this game going. It's only a three-point Spread in this game, Detroit's favored by three, 
47 and a 47 point projected total. I assume that's going to be one of the higher ones on the slate. Quickly scrolling around, it looks to be the second highest on the slate. So, yeah, good area here. Focus in on this game. Let other people fall into the trap games that are covering this main slate. But I like Goff, Gibbs, Montgomery, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Sam Laporta. You're not crazy to be desperate and even put Jamison Williams in, in there, hoping he scores on a gadget play. But then find yourself a Viking, too, to run it back. I think it's a really healthy game. Next game, and this one also could be sneaky for fantasy because both these teams are still fighting in the playoff hunt or fighting for jobs with the Seattle Seahawks. But Seattle Seahawks coming to Tennessee. They're going to be outdoors. It's going to be cold. I wish the Titans were favored in this game because it would make it easier to figure it out. But they're actually three-point dogs at home, which, of course, by now you need to know that is the wrong recipe if you like you some Derrick Henry. Now, I love West Coast Teams coming across the country starting early, especially when they've played on, was it Monday night? So it's a short week. And I do think Derrick Henry is in a good position to run through the Seattle Seahawks, who can be ran on. The Seattle Seahawks, again, not Legion of Boom run defense. They can be ran on. This is very game script dependent. But if you think Titans are good dogs in this game, run Derrick Henry and see what happens. 7,900. It's a fair price for a good matchup. Yeah, like it. Uh, on the other side, though, while the Titans' pass defense has gotten better uh, than it was last season, they definitely shirked you know, one of the league worst pass defenses from last year. They still are giving up yards. The thing with the Seahawks is, and I know everyone's having this issue, is if you like the running back, well, too bad. It's a two-headed monster between Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. If you like Tyler Lockett, too bad. The younger version of himself looks to be Jackson Smith and Jigba, and it seems like neither of their production is really getting helped out very much. The only skill position player on the Seahawks that has a particular set of skills that no one else has is DK Metcalf. I do think Tennessee can get burned and abused. DK Metcalf, if he's played well at all this year, it's right now, right? He's playing at the peak of the season right now. All guns are hot with DK Metcalf, so... I would load him up. 7600 is a little pricey for a DK Metcalf, but if he's having that two-touchdown game, you'll forget about his price altogether. I really like him this week. He's marked as a preferred option, stud football player, and he lines up perfectly with the Derrick Henry stack. So you know I'm going to find myself a little mini game stack in that regard. Uh, on the other side here, DeAndre Hopkins. I can't figure him out. 7100 He just does not get a lot of air yards per target. So if it works, he's one of those that makes the lineup. And if the price works at the very end, he gets in. Other than that, Okonkwu, very low-level bargain bin tight end, 5K. Again, just desperation. Or if you find yourself really stacking up this game, he's more of a diversity play at tight end where you just don't want to have the same guy over and over again. you got a couple hundred bucks left over in your salary. Next game, Indianapolis Colts at Atlanta Falcons. I think if you mess around with this game too much, you're going to get burned. Michael Pittman has already now been upgraded too questionable for this game earlier today was not uh, seemingly was not going to play. Now it looks like he is. And that changes around some of the value wide receivers that I thought I had earlier today when uh, I was making my player pool, but Josh Downs, Alec Pierce, if Michael Pittman can't go, you got to like both. Of course you like downs more than you like Pierce. And these are just good pieces to get some value and salary relief for your more focused lineups and their base stacks and your, and your more focused lineups. But I don't think you're stacking anything on the Colts. Jonathan Taylor looks to be playing uh, this week as well. 9K, so if you're playing him, it's all in. 
I do think that if Jonathan Taylor plays, they will be playing him full speed, full carries. I don't think they want Trey Sermon out there getting 10 touches again. So Jonathan Taylor, if he's playing, I'd treat him as a stud, a slate, a slate breaker with 25, 30-point upside. I, I, I do. I think you, it's that time of the year to get these stud running backs in. On the Falcon side, I don't know. I feel like we're playing Russian roulette. How about you guys tell me what the hell's going on here? Taylor Heineke starting again. I looked at it. The three games that Heineke started, Bijan Robinson had 47 touches. It was the best time of the year to play Bijan Robinson. He's only 7,100. Home favorites. I mean, it, all this equation equals play Bijan Robinson and play him a lot. And then you just got Arthur Smith on the side. I think Arthur Blank, the Falcons owner, came out and basically said, we're going to see how these last three games go. Everyone's clamoring for Arthur Smith's head. If the guy has two brain cells to rub together, he force feeds Bijan Robinson 25 touches this week. I just got to keep going with logic. I actually don't think mentally ill people are NFL head coaches. I don't think that Arthur Smith actually has a vendetta against Bijan Robinson. I'm going to go back to Bijan Robinson, but please don't follow because it has been a horrible, horrible experience this year. But it, all the logic, you know, matches up that Bijan just crushes this game. So I'll be there. I will be there. On the other side, if there was even an average quarterback, I'd say yes, Drake London's worth considering, but we don't have that here. Kyle Pitts, too, 5,500. I don't know. It's just as likely to go to Johnny Smith. So I would just walk out of that game entirely. It's Bijan or Bust for me with the Atlanta Falcons. All right, Green Bay Packers going to the Carolina Panthers. A little stingy on defense with the Carolina Panthers. A couple of interesting things about this game. One, I'll actually start with the Green Bay Packers defense getting hosed after last week, really giving up a game they shouldn't have, really getting ripped through the secondary. I think one of their defensive linemen went on Twitter and started griping about fans' interaction and get all the grief they're catching and how the defense is catching all the blame. To me, that's just a perfect concoction mixed with this crappy Panthers team, mixed with I can't see over the front of my line Bryce Young. I think the Packers are actually going to come out and get after the Panthers. Uh, pretty pissed off defense. Packers still in the playoff hunt, and they're all playing for their jobs. So I actually like the Green Bay Packers defense against the Panthers this week. I haven't checked what the price is yet, uh, hoping it's mid-tier or lower. If the defense is not mid-tier, if it's actually upper tier, that is more of an indictment against the Panthers and FanDuel acknowledging that whoever plays the Panthers gets to beat up on them. So... Uh, we'll see if that plays. But other than that, kind of tricky because you got to like Jordan Love in this game. And then Aaron Jones is set to play, but no A.J. Dillon. The fact is Aaron Jones is not the Aaron Jones of three years ago. The guy lacks breakaway speed. He now looks like, at least when I'm watching him, that his shiftiness off of screen passes or, or things out in the flats, he's not able to really avoid any tackles at this point in his career. So, if you're playing Aaron Jones, you're only playing him assuming he's getting that 18 touches. But other than that, I think you got to go with Romeo Dobbs on the Packers. Jaden Reed looks to be 50-50 if he's playing or not. So if he's not playing, then that opens the door for Dontavian Wicks at 5,400, their current wide receiver three. I would play Wicks confidently if Reed's not playing. I would play Reed confidently if he is playing. And then at the very bottom here, we also have another athletic tight end. And as you're trying to decide – this craziness between these three wide receivers, Dobbs, Reed, and Wicks, you could always just simply 
stack craft cheap at 5300 with Jordan Love maybe have an Aaron Jones as a cheap running back option and then pepper the lineup with a ton of slate breakers with Jordan Love only being 7500 this is actually a very cheap stack so figure these packers out match them up with two or three slate breakers and roll I think that's the motto nothing to consider on the Panthers team moving on Cleveland Browns at Houston Texans CJ Stroud's not going to play uh, if he was going to play, that would open up the slate a lot, a lot more usable pieces. But I am going to go ahead and crown the Cleveland Browns as the best defense I've seen in the last couple of years at least. And if I'm crowning the defense, you know what I'm going to say about the Texans. I I'm not going here this week. Devin Singletary, if you must know, definitely taking over the lead role of Damian Pierce. I don't think that's an indictment on Damian Pierce as a football player. I just don't think Damian Pierce fits the Texans system and how their run their zone-based blocking run game works look for Damian Pierce to be traded in the offseason Devin Singletary is getting all the touches the Texans are only projected for 19 points in this game I'm just going to go ahead and stay away from this and assume that Case Keenum is not going to be able to outrun Miles Garrett in this defense and it's going to be a shit show now there's been excitement because Joe Flacco is the feel-good story of the end of the year and he's made Amari Cooper and David Njoku relevant I don't know if I'm up for betting on Joe Flacco period. 38-year-old Joe Flacco, I don't know. So if you're going after the Browns at all, you're really just single playing Amara Cooper, David Njoku, and leaving it to the rest. But both of these players, I think this is kind of a sell-high situation on these players. Both these players are priced to the absolute moon, uh, given how the season's gone for them. 7500 for Cooper, 6600 for David Njoku. We don't do that for tight ends. Everyone knows that. Probably moving on. Washington Commanders at New York Jets. Oh, my God. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Like, what the hell? I don't want to watch this game. I If Red Zone keeps pumping this at me this week, I'm going to change it off. We're just going to go watch the normal network games because what a shit matchup. Uh, yeah, not even going to touch it, guys. Not even going to touch it. You should say that if Zach Wilson was starting, I would actually say Garrett Wilson would be somewhat worth it because everyone knows the Commanders are the worst pass defense in the league this year. Uh, but I it, I don't even think Trevor Simeon's capable of throwing the ball 150 yards. So I'm just going to stay away completely. The Jets have a great defense that should negate everything on the Commanders. It's it's brutal. Maybe you play the Jets defense in this one. I think that's a great move. Commanders giving up the most sacks this year in the league. So play the Jets defense. Jacksonville Jaguars at Tampa Bay Bucks. So these are two very average, painfully average football teams that are both in the middle of playoff races, trying to win their division title, getting to the wild card round. So, Trevor Lawrence looks to be starting this game. Again, not something that was mentioned earlier this morning, but Trevor Lawrence looks to be a go for Sunday. That opens up a couple things. Juan Evan Ingram, another good start. 6300 pretty pricey for tight end. But this team is getting pretty narrow in who they can use. Calvin Ridley at a huge discount, 6800 there's no Zay Jones. There's no Kirk here. I, I think Calvin Ridley is just the top dog. So 6,800 as the wide receiver one, that's kind of a simple discount, and you're going to be playing some Bucks players. So it might be another week to go get burned by Calvin Ridley. And then with Trevor Lawrence playing, you got to like Travis Etienne. Now he may face a negative game script on the road. They are two-and-a-half-point favorites. That's kind of a toss-up. I'm sorry, the Bucks are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Kind of a toss-up with ETN. I actually like ETN a lot this week. I don't think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense at this point in the season is anything to fear. 
Uh, so I could see ETN just getting a bulk of the touches given the injuries to the wide receiver core. And if the Jaguars get up early in this game, ETN could very well be the leading scorer on the slate this Sunday. On the Bucks side, I think if you played a Baker Mayfield stack last week, you won the Millie Maker. So you were sick in the head if you did that, but if you did it, you won. So I'm not going to be playing Baker this week, uh, but I do like Rashad White, a player that individually, personally to me, I've fought against and avoided all year, and it's taken me a long time to read the results for what they are, which is even though he had a slow start to the year and burned me early, he's actually been very, very, very productive uh, for most of the season. So Rashad White, at this point, you've got to slap the stud label next to him, in my opinion, and you just got to throw him at some good matchups. He's an integral part in this Buccaneers team that's going to score points. So after Mike Evans, you got to play Rashad White on this team. Mike Evans, I'm going to go ahead and say it if I haven't yet. To me, he's been handed the slate breaker label for the rest of the season in a contract year, and it's probably a month too late, but I've marked him down as a slate breaker. 8700 certainly a slate breaker's price. And you're playing him because he's going to moss two guys for two touchdowns. That's what you're thinking if you play Mike Evans. He's just raw touchdowns and bombs from Baker Mayfield, but they're on their way. I mean, Baker keeps feeding it to him. Even in the game where he only had one touch, eight yards, that came with six targets, and it just wasn't happening with Mike Evans that week against Atlanta two weeks ago. I would just keep rolling it with Mike Evans. In a very thin, thin week at wide receiver, you do not want to be off the good guys uh, the really usable high you know high ceiling guys at wide receiver. So make sure you get a little Mike Evans, uh, and then Kate Otten at fifty two hundred, just another bargain bin option. See if it lines up, works for you, but nothing to be excited about. Uh, but overall, a lot of good pieces in this game. You're probably not going to stack either quarterback, but use these pieces. Maybe you marry these pieces with the Jordan Love stack, uh, or or somewhere else because we got a couple more quarterbacks uh, to get to. Three of our five quarterbacks still to go. Next game, this one looks like a trashy fantasy game. So it's going to be trashy and that the football is going to be bad. But overall, this could be a fantasy gold mine. Figuring this game out actually may win you the slate as well this week. So Arizona Cardinals at Chicago Bears. God, I wish they were playing at the Cardinals in a dome. Give me some good weather, Chicago. So the Bears look to be favored by about four, four and a half points in this game. It's kind of a... The, to me, the score projections basically say we don't know what the hell is going to happen in this trash bowl. But starting with the Cardinals, I mean, Kyler Murray, as long as he's a rushing quarterback, he's useful. Now, he's pretty much touchdown dependent. He's not capable of throwing himself to 20 points. But I assume he's going to rush. I assume he's going to get in the end zone. And, and if I'm assuming all that, that's when I'm playing him. This is the only time I'm going to say it. But Trey McBride at 7K is a tight end worth paying for at 7K. And I'm only saying that because he's had 25 targets in the last three weeks. You got to look at him more like you look at a DeAndre Hopkins at this point. A huge possession receiver where if he breaks the tackle, it's going to be huge yards after the catch. He's basically the, the Cardinals' entire, entire pass attack at this point. So on the Cardinals, it's simple for me. You're playing Kyler Murray. You could also play Trey McBride as a running back option on the Bears. Now, you may not be able to get Trey McBride in on a runback option against the Bears because I'm going to recommend Cole Komet stacked up with Justin Fields. Let's get to the Bears. Justin Fields, play him, maybe even play him multiple times. He's a runner, playing for his life, playing for his job. He doesn't want to be traded from the team that drafted him. And the Bears look to almost be locked into the number one pick. 
given if the Panthers can fail their way there or not. So I think guns blazing for Justin Fields. DJ Moore, guns blazing. I really like Justin Fields and DJ Moore this week. I actually highlighted, for this week's purposes, DJ Moore as a slate breaker. So DJ Moore, big time. And if you're playing two lineups, make one of those lineups a Fields, Moore, and Komet stack as the nuclear stack. And then pray to God that Deontay Foreman doesn't get three rushing touchdowns on eight carries and 24 yards this Sunday. That is the one outcome I could see that would just murder us. But uh, overall, game, pretty healthy place for fantasy points. Kind of narrow. I think you could figure it out and have either Kyler Murray stacked with Trey McBride, run back DJ Moore, or something fun with the Bears on the other side. It's a really fun game to target. And lastly, we got Dallas Cowboys at Miami Dolphins. One of the few games on the Sunday slate that actually looks like a playoff matchup. Uh, starting with the Cowboys, you know, the Miami Dolphins kind of carry, their defense carries with them the stigma that they're soft, that they give things up. I think they're more of a streaky defense. So to me, it's just as likely as not that the Dolphins defense, you know, kind of slows down this Cowboys juggernaut. At the same time, that Cowboys juggernaut looks that way because they haven't played very many people in the last two months. Sure, they just came off playing Buffalo and Philadelphia. What happened there? They caught Philadelphia. Philadelphia had played five contenders in a row before the Cowboys, and so they caught them at a good time. Then they went up to Buffalo and got their asses kicked. Before that, they played the Seahawks, easy defense. Washington, easiest defense in the league. Carolina, second easiest defense in the league. New York Giants, who gave up eight weeks ago. Should I continue? So I think the Cowboys were in the easiest part of their schedule. They caught Philly at a tough time. They got their asses kicked by Buffalo. And I think we're going to realize what the Dallas Cowboys are this Sunday. That's my position on it. We're going to learn something one way or another about the Cowboys or the Dolphins this Sunday. But my bet is on the Dolphins. My bet is that the Cowboys come in under their projected scoring total of 24.5 points. And for those reasons, I'm not going to have Dak Prescott in my player pool. Although I added Tony Pollard, I added CeeDee Lamb, and I added Jake Ferguson. Only because I'm definitely stacking myself a Tua line. Maybe even two. This week could very easily be two Justin Fields lines, two Tua lines, and a golf line to be weird. But Tua... You're running in with Tyreek Hill. You're running in with Jalen Waddle. Then if you run him again, you're running in with Tyreek Hill, and you're running in with Devon A-Chain. A-Chan. Chad, help me out on that one. A-Chan, A-Chain. But that's a simple formula here, and it's not that hard. The hard thing when you're playing the, the Miami's uh, stack or stacks is where do you fill in the holes and where do you fill in the gaps here. So if you're running it back with these Dallas Cowboys, these Dolphins things, I mean, there's an obvious hole there at tight end. So Jake Ferguson, early in the season when the Cowboys were playing tougher teams, Jake Ferguson was the safety outlet for Dak Prescott. This game starts out and Dak realizes he's playing another legitimate football team. Maybe his mind switches back to safety and Jake Ferguson gets 11 targets in this game. I do like Jake Ferguson out of every skill position player on the Cowboys. He's my favorite. CeeDee Lamb, though, at this point, 9,400 9, slate breaker, you're just giving him his respect. Because as the Cowboys could go down, CeeDee Lamb can still rise above it, get his 12 targets, and take it, two of them to the house, which could break the slate, depending on the yardage that comes with it. So you're definitely getting CeeDee Lamb in somewhere, although I don't know how you're going to get him in in a Dolphins stack with Tyreek Hill costing you 10000 of your salary. So 
But CeeDee Lamb, mark him in as a slate breaker and figure it out. And then Tony Pollard, honestly, damn near a value play. A starting running back that gets this much of the usage. You know, last, what, let's see, month here, he's had 13, 23, 23 and 19 touches. I mean, those are just free touches for 7K. So that's why he makes the player pool. If you're really trying to stack this game and you think the Cowboys are going to have a little more punch to them on offense than I do, maybe the answer is a two a stack blending in Pollard and Ferguson, and then mixing in a lot of the really nice wide receiver value we have this week. I think that's how you approach this game. Woo! Overall, I will say, looks to be kind of a tough slate. The reliable places to go and get fantasy options, again, to me are very narrow and straightforward. It's going to be how you piece together all the value plays and, and make sure you have a good helping of some of these high-end studs or slate breakers like Mike Evans and DK Metcalf making sure you have them in the right lineups that are stacked with, with the correct stack uh, to get you to the top. So I think it's going to be – you're either going to be winning this week or you're going to be really losing. There's really not going to be a lot of middle ground this week. I think the difference between the top 12 lineups and your 20th lineup could very well be like 30 points uh, You know, if, if everyone's not in the same stack. So as I said weeks ago, I'm not looking at player projection uh, – ownership projections anymore. I think that that screws me up. So it's hard for me to say which stack would be – the most popular, if I had to guess, it's going to be Fields for sure. Everyone salivates when they see a, a matchup with Arizona. So, assuming a good amount of Justin Fields stacks with DJ Moore. But also, I could see a, a decent amount of Tua stacks and really focusing in on this Cowboys game uh, at, at Miami. Mainly because they have been given the highest projected point total. Which, to me, again, I expect it to come in under that. Uh, 50.5 points projected in this game. So... That's just kind of how I see the slate. Let me know if you guys see it in a different way. Like I said at the beginning of the show, we had a lengthy housekeeping uh, segment there to discuss the future of the show. Looking to go to one episode next week. Have not decided, and I want to be sure when I make the choice, have not decided if we'll have the show drop on Wednesday in the middle of the week or even on Thursday morning, but it would be one of those days. So we'll try to decide that over the weekend, and we'll put out notices across our social medias. You can find us at Player Pool Pod. We'll put out notices let you know what what to expect this back half of the season so i'm very set on being your guide for dfs i hope eventually i can teach you all i can teach and you go on to just play this normally as you did season long that's always been the goal we appreciate all your guys' support we will see you next week time tbd but we'll see you next time thanks for listening to the player pool podcast you can find us on facebook and follow us on twitter and instagram at player pool pods